watching on Zoom land and uh, at home. Um, tonight uh, kicks off, uh, as everybody knows, the uh, FY24 uh, budget hearings for the Finance Committee. Um, I'm just going to go through a few slides, Mr. Chairman. I've uh, been told that a lot of our budget documents are long. Uh, people want the Cliff Notes version. Uh, I'm still working uh, my tail off to try to figure out what the right uh, Cliff Notes might be. So I thought I would put together um, a few slides that went through the revenue projections for the year. Um, and then I'm going to put up a couple of slides to look at um, some of the highlights of the expenditures. Um, and then, as uh, we usually do, uh, Mr. Chairman, go through uh, basically line item by line item of each department head. So I'm just going to kick it off. I just want to note to the folks, on a lot of the slides, you're going to see information that have franklinma.gov. Uh, on it. If you're watching at home, you can go right to the home page right here, go down to town budget, uh, click on that button. Um, and as you can see, um, there's more than enough material uh, here to uh, for Sunday morning readings uh, to fall asleep. Uh, you could uh, read to your heart's content. We have a lot of information on there, but I'm going to try to do my best I can here in a very short amount of time so we can get to the departments just to uh, dive right in. So one of the first things folks will see uh, on, on the budget document uh, in the town narrative as well as the budget book is our revenue projections. And I know, Mr. Chairman, the Finance Committee held a session probably a year ago uh, on a deep dive series of just revenue. Uh, but I do want to highlight a few things and go through it just so that the uh, new audience members who may be watching at home, uh, we've got a lot of residents that are looking at the budget and hearing about it for the first time. Um, so I just want to make sure everybody understands fully uh, as simply as possible uh, where the revenue projections are coming from. So up here on the screen, uh, the first uh, revenue source that everybody knows, and again, if you're looking at home, go to the budget documents. Uh, there's a lot of pie charts and a lot of other things to break this up, but uh, the first revenue source is property taxes, and that's, uh, in our language, is your tax levy. So really, it's pretty simple. Uh, if folks go up to the tax levy category, which is the first page of the budget, 
you'll notice in final FY23, was about 86 million, and then we just times it by two and a half. For everybody out there that wants to know, this is the infamous proposition two and a half uh, that's allowed by law. Um, some folks may hear of quote unquote an unused levy capacity. The town of Franklin does not have any unused levy. The town has been taxing at two and a half percent, at least during all of Jeff Nutting's tenure, uh, as well as my own. Then the second revenue source uh, of part that defines your tax levy is called new growth, um, which is uh, accumulated by this gentleman behind me, Mr. Kevin Doyle and the Board of Assessors. Um, so new growth is property value that's captured mid-year. Um, and for the uh, folks at home, um, it can be construction, but it's also mostly home renovations, uh, home improvements. So if you, in the middle of fiscal year, uh, did a huge home improvement that wasn't captured on your last reevaluation cycle. Um, you had a kitchen or a deck or you know, some other major capital improvement to your personal property. Your property now is worth more money and is more valuable. And therefore, uh, in the mid-cycle, we have a, a revenue source called new growth. And what folks will see up here is you'll see a revenue decline. And that's because the town uses, like many communities, a 10-year average of new growth. Why do we use a 10-year average? Because this revenue source can go spike up and can go down. In the budget document, I think we have a 20 to 25 year history in there. And you'll see that some years new growth was at 600,000, 700,000 in revenue. And uh, just before the pandemic, um, the town did have record breaking new growth numbers. We are starting to see because of mortgage and interest rates and a lot of other global factors, uh, that's slightly coming down. Make no mistake, the 1.27 million is a $30,000 decrease in the tax levy that we expect. And I will sit here tonight and say, given the global uh, economic conditions, this certainly could, we could meet those numbers, uh, but obviously anything can happen, and based on the mortgage rates, interest rates, issues that we're seeing, and a lot of, uh, obviously, with supply chain issues and costs going way up because of inflation, some homeowners and some uh, real, uh, some construction, uh, commercial industrial, excuse me, um, we may see that dry up a little bit. So even though this is a 10 year average, uh, on the staff level, we do think that this is even potentially a little high, um, but the Board of Assessors and Kevin and the staff do a phenomenal job and, and we know that they'll do their best um, to go out and be able to capture that. Which leaves a net gross of 3.451. So what, you can't just automatically do two and a half, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half every year. That will gauge you, but for those that are just doing quick math at home, there are other revenue calculations that come uh, into this. This looks pretty similar to the slide I just have up, but if you notice the circle is a, little low, is a little lower on the chart over here. So if you look at the second section of the revenue sheet, you'll see something called debt exclusion. And debt exclusions are mainly used um, to fund a large capital project like a building, in particular, as you can see here, all schools, <laughs> uh, which is pretty frequent. But you notice over here, you'll see the revenue decline uh, for most of these accounts. And why is that? Because the schools were passed on a debt exclusion uh, well over 20 years ago. They were on 20-year borrowing schedules. Um, and now some of the tax is actually sunsetting off of those projects. So most people wouldn't normally think of this because the tax rate continues to go in one direction uh, with the home value equation that the Board of Assessors do at the tax rate hearing. But it is important to note that actually there is a formula that the finance team uses to actually decrease and sunset that tax. You won't necessarily see it because it comes off 
year to year. But when you see Horace Mann here, a revenue decline of, of, of 96,000, that's because that project is now being paid off. And so now the tax capacity is actually less. And so when you actually do the entire formula and you don't just do 2.5% over last year, and you look at it a little deeper, you actually come away with uh, smaller levy capacity and property tax value that we're getting times the 2.5%, which equals to about 3.31 million. So ultimately, after we go through the final two revenue sources of local receipts, as well as state aid, the town really has about 3.31 million um, to spread around. It's a lot more complicated than that. I'm just simply trying to make the numbers a little bit easier for people at home to understand, as I've gotten a lot of questions in the last couple months about revenues and where they go and whatnot. I will also mention, Mr. Chairman, through the Finance Committee, um, there will be some additional slides that I'm going to go through at the end during the final recommendation relative to some of these other dynamics, but I'm just going to go through the basics of the budget right now. The second big category is local receipts, um, and these are generally uh, revenues that pay fee for service, such as building permits, uh, recreation uh, fees, licensing fees, ambulance receipts. These are very similar to school revolving accounts that people are familiar with, that athletic fees or something like that. Um, the one difference between them um, is that local receipts needs to be appropriated by the legislative body during the budget hearing, whereas the school committee and the superintendent have authority over school revolving accounts. But they I just do that to illustrate the point that they're similar in the sense that most local receipts are generated <coughs> by actual fees for service. So this is where alcohol licensing goes. And again, in the budget for people looking for a little bit more detail, go dig into the budget narrative. We have historical charts, we have historical data, we have a breakdown of what our assumptions are in terms of hotel tax and cannabis fees and all the other fees that are in there, including motor vehicle excise. Um, but I just uh, put this up on the screen to illustrate, again, while we're proposing uh, 12.6 million uh, that we're gonna raise uh, in FY24 in local receipts, I also wanna um, mention, uh, the finance director and I have talked about this, we're now in the post-pandemic world of hopefully our local receipts and revenue sources, particularly from hotels, meals, and some of the excise taxes come back and bounce back to pre-pandemic levels. We do believe that will happen. Obviously, global economics may change that. Um, but again, like the earlier slide, even if we're that strong, the host community agreements, um, there is no more impact fee. So there's actually technically a reduction in what our prospective revenue is because we are technically losing a little bit of revenue. So, um, hopefully this number goes up there, but when you look at the ballpark increase, you have to deduct um, these other two revenue sources that were in there in FY23, and really there's only a net gain of 1.6 million potentially. And just for the public at home listening, these are revenue sources that we're projecting out. We haven't collected these yet. <laughs> so just like your household, you know, we're hoping all of these come in, we're confident these are gonna come in, but obviously by the end of the year, we have to watch and how things go. They may not come in, or we could, uh, be higher than that. And if they're higher than this amount, that's what amounts to some, not all, but some of the free cash. I would note really quickly, while the host community agreement fees, impact fees only are gone, the J&J opioid settlement also is now that revenue for the next 20 years has been created in a stabilization account, which can only be used for those uses allowed under that settlement. So while the money is still there for the opioid settlement, and we will deal with that off budget, um, the net gain is really about over last year, 1.6. Yep. Just a quick, 
question. When you project two million bucks, are you an optimist or a pessimist? Uh, a realist. Do you, are you, do you take that? Is, that a is there a third choice? A realist? No. Is that a conservative number? Do you, do you probably you ambitious on the side of conservatism versus optimism? To be I mean, completely, like to be completely honest, you have to be somewhat realistic, right? And you have to look at the upward trend. And I think if you look at particularly a few of the revenue sources, like motor vehicle excise, right? Cars are hard to buy these days. They're expensive. So people may not be purchasing new automobiles like they used to, which means maybe that flatlines. Um, I talk to the hotels usually once a year and get their prospectus, just a little bit of where their occupancy rates are. It seems like we're in good shape. You know, I mean, will it be the same? I don't know. Um, typically what we find is um, most of our local receipts um, in previous years, um, especially the pandemic years, um, maybe exceeded a little bit of what we thought. And again, that ends up going to the capital program through free cash. But um, obviously there's no crystal ball. I'm not a pessimist nor an optimist. Somewhere in the middle is a realist. Uh, the finance director and I and the staff look at those. We look at the trends. All the historical data is there. Um, I guess maybe if I was leaning <coughs> one direction, I'm hopeful because if you're hopeful, you're hoping that people are still moving their, their renovation goals forward at their personal property. You're hopeful that the planning board who's meeting upstairs is approving projects and mitigating projects appropriately, which is good for these revenue sources. I think uh, when we get to the recreation department, um, there's, I'm very optimistic because Ryan has had record-breaking uh, months uh, over the last year. Um, so there's a lot of good information, um, and there's some information like motor vehicle excise that maybe that's plateaued, but um, truth be told, a lot of it's based on human behavior, and um, I'm not sure whether to be optimistic or pessimistic with that. Yeah. Leave that up to you guys. <laughs> Jamie, just a note for you, there's a couple people in the waiting room. Oh. Thanks, Alex. And then really quickly on other available funds, um, as you can see, there are no transfers, but if there were one-time revenues, like if you went back to 2019-20 in the revenue sheet, you would see the budget stabilization, those two years where the budget stabilization votes came in. Those were one-time revenues. It's the same thing with indirects from enterprise funds. Basically, that's offsetting some of the costs uh, for healthcare and some of the other uh, issues in the budget. So those are just one-time revenue sources. Um, that you would transfer in there. If we use federal stimulus funds to patch up the budget, that's where that would go. The town has not used any federal stimulus funds to plug its operating budget. Like the city of Boston, I know recently, has shown that they're using hundreds of millions of dollars to plug their operating budget from federal stimulus. We don't do that, okay? Uh, only in emergencies, that's why you have a rainy day fund. So don't look too deep into those, those funds right there. Those numbers would jump off if there was a net budget stabilization or other transfers you'd see in there. And finally, uh, local aid, or state aid, excuse me. Um, again, one of the misnomers of this is it's all about Chapter 70. We hear about Chapter 70 in the news. We hear about Chapter 70 from our legislative delegation. If you look just at Chapter 70 and you look at the amount, you think, oh, there's a, there's a net plus there. But ultimately, we use something called the cherry sheet. I've created a link down there, and these slides will be up online later. I know all of you are familiar with it, but for the folks at home, the cherry sheet is basically your summary sheet of all state formulas and assessments. 
This is the piece sometimes folks don't always go to on the bottom of the revenue sheet, which is assessments. So there are deductions that come off of our full state aid amount. It's not just Chapter 70, albeit that may be the place that people want to focus on because it's where uh, the education aid is. But ultimately, when you get out to it, um, you know, people see an increase in Chapter 70 and think that that's good, but ultimately, in this budget proposal before you, there's actually a net loss in state local aid of $9,667 in Governor Ely's House 1 budget. So that's a trivia question most people don't get because, and I highlighted one of them here that jumps off the page, is the charter school assessment, okay? And there's other state assessments for MAPC and mosquito control, there's a whole series of them um, that get baked into these formulas and they put out what's called a cherry sheet with exactly these categories um, but this is why it's important, because you may get a revenue reimbursement up here for charter schools, okay, 147, but you can't just look at that isolated, you have to look at the assessment as well, okay? So ultimately, there's more per pupil cost leaving the town of Franklin for the charter school than what the reimbursement plugs in the state formula. And again, none of this is local discretion, this is just the way it is. This is the way the state formulas work. If anybody wants any changes in all this, you need legislative approval through the House and Senate and the governor. Um, as I mentioned down here, and I know we'll talk about uh, quite a bit throughout the rest of the week, um, the House of Representatives has actually approved a budget uh, last two weeks ago um, that does bring Franklin into the positive. Um, and I anticipate by the time all the state aid is done between the Senate budget, conference committee, governor vetoes sometime in July or August, uh, the town of Franklin hopes to see a net increase in state aid of about 250 to 300,000. We'll get to that uh, later on. Really quickly, expenditures. Um, again, for everybody at home, I'm gonna go through these slides really quickly, but all of this information and how the revenue uh, is divvied up by expenditure, including all those revenue sources, um, is in the budget narrative. Um, just for the slides, uh, all this is in the budget document. Uh, the general government up, up uh, at the top increased probably more than any other budget. As we'll hear tonight, uh, um, inflation is now uh, completely settled in the budget. Uh, and then two, on public safety, I just note um, that that is for police, not just police and fire, but it's also regional dispatch, as well as the building department uh, and animal control. Uh, and then third, um, the education light item here at $74 million does include the Tri-County and Norfolk Agricultural School assessments. What is not included in that number is approximately probably 16 to 17 million. I, we have the number that was up here in the budget, but when you deduct Norfolk County and Aggie off of that, you're talking about 16 to 17 million um, in costs that are in the town uh, budget, if you will, that are not in that education item that actually goes to the schools. And again, we'll go through that. I'm sure there'll be some questions on that. Custodial services, facilities, teacher retirement insurance, a whole variety of debt and interest on the buildings. All of that is not included in the education line item. Those are in the other budgets uh, throughout. This is just a quick pie chart of exactly what was there. Again, just to show the folks watching at home or on Zoom, um, you can go through the narrative and see a lot more pie charts on town demographics, age data, um, you know, local uh, finance <coughs> histories, um, all sorts of breakups, uh, department by department. 
just pie charts and simple uh, graphics like this, uh, you can find throughout the whole network. Uh, one of the couple things we're going to talk about tonight is fixed costs. Okay? People say, where's all the money? Why don't we have more? We can't do more of what we want. Well, when you really look at fixed costs, and I know Mr. Nutting talked about this for years as well, this is just some examples. This isn't every one. You have to go through the budget document to really read through it. Um, but just a few examples this year. The pension and benefits budget went up 582000 That's actually really good. <laughs> Um, our IAC works really well. We'll hear about that from uh, HR and in the benefits section. Um, we found ways of working with the schools and the town for our employees for a high deductible uh, health insurance plan, which has stemmed that cost significantly. But still, almost 600 grand right out of the gate is going to pension and healthcare. And that's with no effort uh, or very little effort in terms of dealing with healthcare. But with pension assessment, it's almost 350. That's actually cheap as well. If you look into the budget, you'll see over the last decade or so, our pension assessment is nearly double. So these are fixed costs. Uh, the municipal employee's cost of living adjustment was at 2.5%. We just went through Prop 2.5. So the council and the town administrator basically said, you know, we'll, we'll, we can raise the uh, cost of living adjustment for all municipal employees. That's a $560,000 cost contractually right out of the gate. Inflation this year, when we go through facilities, you're talking about a million bucks right out of the gate just to keep the lights on in this building, the fire department, police department, all the school buildings, a million bucks. So you can see how that 3.3 million is going down real quick. The facilities budget alone, just for illustration, is a million bucks increase just from inflationary costs with stormwater, electricity, gas, propane, and the municipal coal. Again, like I mentioned earlier, people always ask me, what does this stuff pay for? You're looking at 17 to 19 million in non-public education line item spending. You're talking about debt and interest, property and casualty insurance, workers' comp, snow removal, grounds and maintenance, utilities, all the stuff is up here. People understand that stuff. All that stuff is inflected by inflation. And then some of the smaller things in the budget that don't get a lot of prime time because they're smaller costs, but again, fixed costs. Property and casualty and workers' comp insurance this year went up over $100,000. That's just something we have to do. It's just part of what we do. OPEP, we all know the town policy, goes up $50,000 every year. Again, it's just another 50 grand to come right off the top, uh, right out of the gate. And regional dispatch, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, uh, seeing a $350,000 increase. I know all of you on the finance committee have heard this you know, over and over again. But as we get closer to FY25, we're going to be taking on the full assessment. And so some of that capacity we're able to spend money in the past. But once FY26 and 27 comes, you're going to see that assessment going up 25 3 3.5% a year uh, just to pay for regional dispatch. So I just use these as examples. These aren't all of them. Um, I hope I didn't scare anybody totally already, but like this is not all of them. But I just illustrate this for the folks watching at home and that are new to this that you know, this is just like your household, just like all of you are going through with inflation, we're going through the same thing. It's not just eggs and milk, there's a lot of other things just to keep the lights on uh, that are impacting the town budget. Just gonna go through it again. This is most, if not all of them, but the new discretionary spending. People are gonna go through the budget and say, where's all the new spending? Well, this is the discretionary non-contractual or, or obligatory spending uh, it's about 700,000. So there's been requests this year to put the capital 
program. Curriculum, turnout gear, tasers, uh, all the stuff for fire and police, um, as well as the schools. We've had this conversation with the Finance Committee for years. What about Chromebooks? Why can't the schools afford Chromebooks in their budget? We buy them every year, right? So they're reoccurring costs. We pay for them, as you've already seen, it's pretty tough to afford that within a tax levy of three and a half million with all the other fixed costs. But in the budget model this year, there's 116,000 to, again, illustrate to the public the challenges and the competing demands of about 120,000 in turnout gear. There's four additional police officers that have been put in, as you'll hear from the chief on Thursday night. We haven't had one single police officer added to our roster in 23 years. Um, for those, again, we can talk about it tonight when the senior center comes up. I think many of you, some of you are familiar at least. We lost the van uh, six, seven years ago when an agreement with Medway uh, faltered uh, to use their van and eventually it's become, you know, it's been a priority for many, many years to buy a new van for the senior center. The budget includes a half a year van driver and an administrative assistant to help coordinate uh, those bus trips, those medical appointments, and those field trips. Additionally, discretionary spending this year, we added a $25,000 line item to subsidize the uh, GATRA service to the senior center, and we are adding one additional stop to the new food pantry. Uh, we've been very lucky to use one-time revenues for these for the pandemic. Representative Roy uh, has been fantastic and got us some ARPA money on this. Um, we've also had um, the Friend, Friends of the Franklin Elders has also subsidized this. But at the end of the day, with visitation back, the town needs to subsidize some level of the GATRA rides to the senior center. Uh, and the food pantry expansion costs $1,000 based on our ridership uh, data. Uh, Danielle and her staff have done a great job costing these out. Um, and it's just about time right now uh, we need to put that uh, in the budget. There's also $160,000 in there um, for uh, two additional positions in the finance office, which will benefit both the town and school finance offices and the human resource offices and the procurement offices. Um, we need to go through a little bit of a restructuring there, but um, they're severely understaffed and those two positions are key uh, for both uh, the operations of all those offices here on the second floor. I think you'll hear from the DPW director about our fleet management. Uh, unfortunately, we just can't simply do it through, um, you know, basically managing our fleet by committee, which has basically been happening from a team effort all around. Uh, we are proposing a fleet manager. We have almost 200 pieces of apparatus from both the town and the schools. Um, and it's just at the time where uh, the market is changing with electric vehicles and everything, green communities. We just need someone to do that position. And then also something the town has talked about for many years, uh, a cultural arts director is in the town administrator's budget uh, for a full-time position for a half a year. For those of you who are new, this is a frequent trick uh, at local governments where you can't finance maybe the whole position in one year, so you do it for a half a year and then take on the full cost the next year and you kind of spread that cost impact out um, over a couple years. And there's also $10,000 in discretionary new spending uh, for the cultural council. And um, I'm not sure about any of you about trying to hire part-time employment these days. It is virtually impossible. Um, and we finally have uh, refilled the Taran Archivist position at some point. Uh, we hope it's this year, but certainly, if not this year, next year, we have to make that a full-time position or else um, really the staffing capacity at the Historical Museum will take a huge step back. Um, and there's just a lot of work to do up there um, to get that place organized 
in addition to the capital projects that are there. I just note the two uh, paramedic positions ultimately are covered by ambulance receipts, technically not in the tax levy, so that's why I didn't offer it up here as part of discretionary spending because it's a revenue source pay for it. Really quickly, um, I put this up there. People will see a huge shift in the DPW budget this year. The main reason why, except for inflation, is really to do with stormwater. I know all of you on the finance committee are familiar with that. Everybody behind me in the audience is familiar with that. Um, but one, just over a million dollars um, in operating budget capacity is coming off the books and going to the stormwater utility, which we'll talk about later tonight. I just did an easy chart to break down for everybody where those revenues are going. So we're basically replacing it back into the DPW, reinvesting in roads and sidewalks, and also our snow and ice removal. Uh, I just gotta at least throw a little bit of a bone. It may not sound like a big deal, but Natalie, you've always asked the question, why are we funding a basic emergency response this way? And I couldn't have agreed with you more. Um, and now fully funding basically our snow and ice removal in our operating budget, which is where it should be. Um, which will free up, um, after we go through another year cycle, which will free up a lot in uh, capital funding. Um, and so, um, you know, I know it's taken you four, three years, I think, being on the FinCom, but we finally got there and found a way to do it. Um, and I know many other members of the finance committee have been asking this uh, for years. So again, all of this information, again, is in the budget narrative. I'm just doing a quick overview. These are just some sample summary points, the narrative has uh, four or five pages of these, but just some summary points. Inflation is now settled in the operating budget. Uh, we've talked about this for over a year and a half. At department head meetings, at council meetings, at finance committee meetings, you can see the impacts of inflation now settled into the budget. I think what we all hope, to give a glimmer of hope towards FY25, is hopefully the major spikes in electricity and basic costs, hopefully we've seen that crest, I hope. We are still gonna be dealing with inflation throughout the year, particularly in facilities in DPW, when there are bids going out for different contracts, for different things like chemicals or grounds or you name it. But we'll have to see how those go throughout the year. But if people are looking for a little bit of civil lining, hopefully those have crested. If those have crested and plateaued, then FY25, we should see a lot more tax levy capacity um, for available for investment. Competing demands, fixed costs, requests, new initiative expectations clearly far outweigh our ability to pay. And certainly there's a little room the Finance Committee and the Council have with discretionary spending. But even with that discretionary spending, it's still not even close to what people have manufactured in their heads in terms of what they want. And we know that from the joint budget subcommittee meeting on March 8th, right? Where a budget model went out showing structural deficit of five or six million. Obviously a lot of that was the, was the school department. But even beyond that, we have a lot of other needs which we'll get to in a minute. Um, I just have to add it in there uh, as I was writing out these slides. Uh, we're kind of victims of our own success. Um, I think for the tax rate that people pay, um, if we levitate out of the debate of certain issues, I think we can all agree, the view from 10,000 feet, uh, the quality of life in this community is absolutely uh, elite. Um, and uh, we are really riding on our reputation as a community uh, for recruitment and retention and a lot of other uh, great services. 
As I've said many times before, but again for the folks at home for their first time, debt and interest is still a concern for me. Um, as the number declines, and we'll see that in the budget, it declined this year by about 340000 That's just getting sucked up by other initiatives. And eventually when we want to go out to borrow money, no matter how good our bond rating is, the interest rate in this environment is still going to be high and the town is still going to pay a higher portion of interest than they did four, three, four, five years ago and that's still going to suck up more of the tax levy. So again, um, we have a lot of other projects on the, on the front burner um, and we shouldn't really do all that we can to avoid all attempts at reserves. Um, we want to maintain the AAA bond rating for many reasons and I know it feels rainy right now and wet, but as many of you know, it is not rain and it's not downpoured yet. Um, there are certainly rainier days to come. Uh, one last slide. Um, one thing I have to put up here uh, for a lot of folks, uh, the public does need to be conscientious of the impacts of these cost increases. To all of you on the FinCom, the folks who live in the community behind me and everybody watching at home, as property values increase, means your tax bill goes up. Um, so last year, the average bill was about 350 bucks. We have a stormwater fee coming on board on July 1st. Um, everybody's aware of that. Um, and the council has to, and they just did the first approval. The second one will be in May, uh, the budget hearings, but a 20% sewer rate increase July 1st, an automatic 15% increase in 24, a 10% increase in 25. That is for the Beaver Street Interceptor. I can assure you those rates will be double or triple if we don't do this project. All of you know that, but for the folks at home, I'm just a bit aware. The municipal aggregation 10 cent electricity rate ends this coming November 2023. I know all of you are aware of it, but last uh, winter was a 33 cent rate hit for people, for towns that were not in aggregation. Our deal ends this November. I am doing the best I can to go back out to bid. I can assure you the rate will not be 10 cents. <laughs> okay, that might be an obvious thing to say, but for people at home that are uh, dealing with inflation already and on fixed incomes, you know, come next winter, we don't know what those electricity rates are going to be. The council just heard their first interaction with PFOS. That will be a water rate hike next year to pay for uh, PFOS remediation uh, in wells due to some new regulations from the EPA. And we will hear on Wednesday, the superintendent of Tri-County will be here um, to go through uh, the plans on the school vote. But as I think all of you know, um, there's a likely debt exclusion for a new uh, high school up there. What, this, what these rate increases here do not include is anything to do with the police station, the Remington Jefferson remodel, which we've had planned for years, the recycling center, uh, school and town technology needs, which I know we'll hear from Tim uh, on Wednesday, uh, public infrastructure needs, the Washington Street sidewalk, which we already have authorization to borrow for that, but we obviously don't want to borrow right now. And I know I speak for the residents on Barron Road, Kenwood Circle, and the commercial industrial sector, and many other residential roads, which have multi-million dollar road projects. Okay? And then still, just to really depress you more, that does not include the structural deficit we've heard in the operating budget from the school district. It does not include any new sidewalk projects, any net zero initiatives, community development initiatives, athletic fields or facilities, mental health initiatives, or reoccurring capital. 
And obviously, as all of you are looking at me, which you're not looking at me, and I don't blame you, uh, I wouldn't look at me either. And I'm thankful for Chris for not showing my face on the screen, because I'm sure people will be throwing tomatoes at home. Obviously, national global economics, we keep hearing about interest rates going up. You know, your prediction's as good as mine. Um, there's a lot on here, and I'm obviously saying all this for a reason. Because the wish lists that people have are just so far out of sight, money that we have. And as we go through tonight, and hopefully people will hang in there with us, and we'll go line item by line item tonight in our usual deep dive scenarios, you'll realize that there's not a lot of more blood to squeeze out of the planning department or the conservation department or the health department or all the other departments that a lot of these minor investments we're making or that's in the proposed budget are modest investments of things that have been lingering around and needs the town has need for a long time. There's obviously a lot of competing demand. So before we get into the budget, uh, I'll end one more time on the town website where the town budget is. Um, Mr. Chairman, folks can click on that link um, and go check out um, and go check out uh, and go check out the budget and take a deeper dive read than even this uh, 30 minutes was right now. Thank you. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.